Hello and welcome to Fincia Podcast. My name is Ben Hamilton, Senior Relationship Manager at Fincia, and I will be facilitating today's podcast. Our latest podcast is with RegTech Specialist Harry Tuklas, Managing Partner at Black Hall and Pearl. He has been the keynote speaker at the recent Future of Finance series, talking about the AI tool developed in conjunction with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which tells us how it can raise red flags about bankers and financiers behaving badly. Welcome, Harry, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about Black Hole and Pearl? Yes, thank you. So Black Hole and Pearl, we do board performance reviews, uh, we do risk management advice, and we do talent services, which is basically taking our um, culture model into the general talent space as opposed to recruitment for talent. Okay, thank you very much. Um, and you were presented this morning at our Future of Finance Roadshow, and how did you find that? It was really good. We had a good turnout. Um, there were some really good questions. There's no doubt that AI is raising in terms of awareness out there. Uh, a lot of people are cognizant of AI and the fact it could impact their work, um, but I guess they're keen to find out more about how that could happen. Okay, thank you very much. Um, why is it so important, do you think, that people in financial services industry should know about AI, artificial intelligence? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's mainly because the financial services industry has really embraced AI, finally. I mean, it's been you know, on the radar screen for a good 10 years now, yeah. especially uh, since the computing power that runs AI came out of the academic field into the uh, workplace field. So, you know, we can now run pretty effective AI programs on our laptops or our desktops and, and still see great results with uh, a multitude of data. So there's no doubt that AI is encroaching within the workplace. Financial services are at the forefront of that in many ways because it will help to improve services. It will help to reduce costs and make the organization more efficient. Okay, excellent, thank you. Uh, in your opinion, how does AI lead to a safer financial services industry? Well, I guess it depends on how you uh, decide to adopt AI, but in our case, our algorithm, which is now close to 15 years old and focuses, focuses on sentiment analysis, which is really understanding people's behavior and intentions and their conduct, that in itself is a very powerful way to provide insight to management, to the board, uh, to other stakeholders in terms of the way the culture is evolving in the organization. And if you can get in front of the way the culture is evolving, you can hopefully shape it in a much more effective way. So it's not really about monitoring people or big brother watching people. It's really about getting early warning indicators, usually at an aggregate level, so not pointing fingers at one person or another, to sort of get a, an understanding of, well, if our culture in this department or this part of the world is going in a certain way based on the algorithmic indicators, what can we do to make it go in the way we want it to go? Or reinforce the way it's currently going, if it's going the right way. Excellent, thank you, Harry. As a champion of AI and its use in financial services industry, um, could it cut out the problems we are hearing about from the Royal Commission? Yeah, absolutely, but it can't do it on its own. So, you know, the most effective use of AI is in conjunction with people. And at the start of all of our uh, presentations or discussions, we always say that uh, it's a combination of human intelligence and machine intelligence. So there's no such thing as an off-the-shelf AI product that you set, forget, and it changes everything for you or fixes everything for you. So to answer your question, it could absolutely help in terms of the current issues we're seeing with the Royal Commission, but by the same token, it comes down to the way individuals embrace and use AI. Okay, absolutely. Um, one of the things you talk about in your presentation is organizational uh, network analysis and how it is like x-raying a business down to a local level. Uh, why is this so important? Yeah, well, 
ONA, or Organisational Network Analysis, it's also known as Social Network Analysis. Either, either way is fine. Um, it really looks at uh, how people operate in the organisation at an everyday level. So typically we look at the, or people look at the uh, leadership of an organisation, the incentive structures in an organisation, short-term versus long-term, the risk appetite of an organisation, all these structural factors are important. There's no doubt that how leadership leads and how you pay your people or incentivize them is critical. But at the same time, what we say is culture is a local context. So just because leadership is doing the right thing and you're paying them in the right way, it doesn't mean people will still behave properly because ultimately people are influenced who they interact with every day. And we call those sort of people culture carriers. They're almost invisible in many ways because they're the people that are, that are most liked and trusted in the organization that carry that local context influence. So you've got two types of influence in an organization. You've got influence based on status, mm. which comes from my uh, seniority or my expertise. And that's fine because those people are widely known and emulated. At the same time, you've got influence based on likability. Mm. And that likability isn't necessarily correlated to status influence. Doesn't mean it's not. You can certainly have management that are well liked, but it doesn't go, it doesn't follow. Mm. And so what we do is we work out, okay, so we can see what the organizational structure looks like formally if we dig below that and look at who's really liked and trusted in the organization and therefore really influencing behavior at that local level. Mm. Could that allow us to then tap those people on the shoulder engage those people, um, incentivize those people with social incentives, not financial incentives, and get them to help us drive change. When we do it that way, the culture or the transformation the organization is looking for will change up to eight times faster. Oh, wow. And it sticks because you're changing the social fabric of the organization, not just the new policy or procedure and so forth. So uh, organizational network analysis is a way of uncovering the hidden influences in an organization and then leveraging them to help you change behavior. These culture carriers are responsible for around 70% of what we call knowledge flow, which is how things get done in the workplace. So when you actually measure how do I actually behave in the workplace based on this whole organization around me from CEO and board down and the local people that I interact with every day, the majority of my behavior up to 70% happens through these local ones. Yeah. Um, and that's because when it comes to influencing behavior, it's that personal interaction that makes me decide whether I like and trust somebody. So I can observe other people and you know I can see the boss acting in a certain way, I can see the CEO acting in a certain way, but unless I personally interact with them on a regular basis, we'll never work out whether we really like and trust each other. Yeah. It's just a function of human, human nature. I mean, you, know, you can come and see me talk at the, at the sort of fincier thing this morning uh, and you might think he doesn't know what he's talking about or maybe he does, but you won't be able to say whether you like me. Mm. unless you sit down with me on a regular basis and interact. And it's that interaction that drives people's change. Mm. That's why these peers that these culture carriers interact with, their peers around them, learn more from the culture carrier rather than anybody else. Excellent. The other point to make too is that one of the benefits of this AI approach to culture is it's dynamic. So traditionally what you would see in terms of culture in a workplace is that there'd be a staff survey. So staff engagement survey, or a workshop, or even an interview sometimes. The problem with those sort of approaches is that they're static. So they're asking me how I see culture right now in the organization. And of course, there's also retrospective bias when you're filling in surveys. Now, you tend to see the past in a different way than what 
sort of really happened half the time. And you also tend to rate yourself higher than you rate others. It's the nature of the way people fill in surveys, separate to anything to do with um, gaming surveys or survey fatigue. So the problem with the traditional approach to analysing culture is that the surveys, workshops, interviews are static. They're at a point in time. But culture's always evolving. It's dynamic, it's always changing the workplace. It's never static. So the benefit of an AI tool is that we're analyzing culture on an ongoing basis automatically. So without having to have surveys, without having to run interviews or workshops, this tool sits on the email server of the organization and automatically collects what data it needs to analyze your current culture mm. and predict future behavior, which is a much more powerful approach than you know, waiting next year for the next staff survey which tends to be sort of fatigued out and people are sort of you know, rushing through to get back to their job, gaming it or not answering sort of completely and so forth. So the benefits of an AI tool is that the board, the C-suite and other stakeholders in the organisation can, at the touch of a button, get a current status of the culture right now. Mm -hmm. And even though you may have done a very comprehensive staff survey only last week, I can guarantee you in six months' time, a lot of that will be different. Yeah. in terms of what people will see and say. I think that's fascinating that they're using artificial intelligence to give a more accurate report or indicator on a human. Yeah, dynamic reporting. Dynamic, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, just, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. That's yeah, one yeah. of the main benefits of AI. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, now, the yeah. challenge, of course, is, is it accurate? Yeah. You know, that's the challenge, and that's where I guess you know, uh, our view is that with 15 years of continued learning behind it, you know, it's, it's very accurate. We, we actually get an accuracy of around 95% when mm. we back test it and calibrate it independently. Uh, and that's because there's so much learning behind the algorithm. Uh, but there's no doubt that uh, one of the major benefits any organisation will see from AI is the fact that they no longer have to rely on surveys, interviews and workshops to understand what's happening in terms of culture in the organisation. I'm not saying you dispense with those completely, they're still quite valuable, but they're static. Mm. Okay, thank you, Aaron. One of the things that has been talked about is that when the big players like Google get into banking, uh, they will clean up because they will know everything about people's behavior and can judge accordingly to give out what may be seen as riskier loans or not, as their AI is so powerful. Is Black Hole and Pearl's tool cut from the same sort of computer programming? Yeah, it's a good question because there, is, uh, there are different forms of AI. And all the way from driverless cars AI to help bots when you call up your local help desk to the type of AI we do, which is sentiment analysis, uh, which seeks to understand understand people's future behaviour. Now, in terms of what you know, what Google may do if it gets into banking, it's hard to say whether they'll clean up or not because there are so many other variables that make you a successful banking organisation or not. Uh, it's interesting to see the current Royal Commission how the focus really is on the relationships people have been having with their customers as opposed to just the way their program or their software has approved the loan automatically. So I think it's pretty early to say whether AI is going to be a solution to a disruptor like Google, but there's no doubt it'll be part of whatever they may be doing to come into a market like banking. Now, when, when they do, it's pretty straightforward to use AI for customer service and straightforward processing. Uh, type of issues like you know handing out uh, you know uh, sort of standard loans. However, when you're looking at people's behaviour 
and how that behavior may change, not just internally, but externally in terms of customers, that's a much more sophisticated form of AI, which you can't just set and forget. So just because you've got a plethora of data there, it doesn't mean it necessarily gives you a much um, stronger advantage in the market. It's the way you calibrate that data and the way the experts, the data scientists, then manipulate or calibrate that data to get the right results. So in our case, it's 15 years of learning for our machine, but also 15 years of highly specialized experts from MIT mm. that have been calibrating and evolving the machine. And the machine couldn't work on its own. Mm. Um, whenever we do a job, it always involves getting these data scientists to update and calibrate each iteration mm. of the analysis as opposed to set and forget. So at this stage, you still need the art and the science to make these machines run properly. So yeah. just because you've got the biggest database doesn't mean you're gonna have the best effect in the market. Okay, and with that in mind, and in your opinion, uh, do banks and financial institutions need to get grips with AI before fintech firms do their job for them and put them out of business? Yeah, I think, I think they're already well aware of AI, uh, but the question is, you know, how can I really apply it to my environment? A lot of AI now is about the so-called reg tech application, which is about, you know, making processes more efficient, uh, more economical and more accurate, which is absolutely fine. I think when we go down to the down the path of understanding how consumers appreciate the organisation, uh, the social capital a bank has with its consumers externally, and the way people internally behave accordingly, that's a very different form of AI. And I don't see too many other firms, whether the big ones or the smaller ones, getting there just yet. Mm. Thank you, Harry, for joining us today and to all of our listeners. For more information on Harry, you can access his interview on the Fincia website, www.fincia.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and keep up to date with future episodes. This concludes our podcast with Harry Douglas. Thank you.